Welcome to the Fitness FAQs podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Vadnell, Australian physiotherapist and calisthenics expert. What's up, everyone? I'm excited to share with you Lucas, who is revolutionizing strength, flexibility, and range of motion. Lucas, what would you say is the range of strength philosophy? Well, it's it's training your strength um, for, for gaining in flexibility. And most people think opposite to that, right? So uh, it's a system of flexibility training that's not dissociated from strength training at all. And um, it, it comes from my years of practice in multiple disciplines. So, you know, there's a powerlifting background, a gymnastics background. Um, I dove into martial arts when I started getting really hard into flexibility training, not even as a kid. It just was like when I realized it was just an untapped area, I was like, I got to figure this out, right? I want all my students to kind of get to this holistic mindset where it's like challenging your range of strength, right? Like, what are you capable of doing? How can you express your movement abilities and stuff? But um, for the most part, we really prioritize flexibility training as, you know, the foundation kind of working from that. And for the people who aren't familiar with your work, what would you say are some of the like proudest flexibility achievements that you've attained? Because you've done some pretty incredible stuff. Just saying. When I really wanted to go hard into the journey, there were like six big achievements. Um, I worked around towards, there was the three splits. So you have the front splits, uh, one leg in front, one leg behind. So it's kind of like an extended lunge. Uh, the side split is the, you know, the Van Dam, um, of course, and the pancake split, straddle leg, folding chest to floor. Uh, those were the three splits I worked towards obtaining. And I should say the pancake split, abs, chest, head. Like I really worked towards ob- obtaining that nice shape. It was a really hard one. Uh, the back bridge, full back bridge uh, from the ground, legs fully extended. Uh, the German hang. Um, so the German hang is, you know, like a skin, the cat moving around the bar. Anyone that follows your account, I think sees you doing a lot of these things too. Um, the head to toe, um, it's a fold head to toe is folding down, touching your head to your toe, your head, your foot's elevated or in, in some way that you can touch your head to your toe. Those were the big six. And a lot of my training systems work around these big six movements, um, for kind of systemizing flexibility because I, I believe strongly that like just working towards these big expressions of range can really allow you to work towards like expressing your flexibility, like through the whole body. So those were the big six that I, I worked towards in terms of flexibility specific. As you guys can hear, that's very comprehensive from head to toe in all ranges of motion and essentially full expression of the human body's potential, which is why I really wanted to chat with Lucas just to dive into how we can actually go about doing this stuff, which we'll get to in our conversation. But this isn't a really popular or mainstream way of training. What made you decide to pursue this? Uh, I got injured um, in a powerlifting competition. So prior to, you know, going all in on that journey, I was a competitive powerlifter pretty traditional SNC coach. Um, you know, the big three really consumed my practice and, um, I got injured and that was in 2014, early 2014. It was a bicep rupture. 
of all things. Like it's kind of, you know, hearing what the injury was, you're kind of like, Oh, well, you know, that doesn't seem that bad, but it was, it was a pretty defining moment for me in, in trying to like, I kind of lost my identity, you know, like I have kids and a family and I, you, you get injured and you can't do these three movements. And I realized like, I couldn't really do much else. So, um, I had gotten pretty out of shape. I was in power lifter shape, kind of in a heavier class kind of shape, which isn't ideal. Um, and the, the realization at first was body composition. I was like, I want to change my body composition. I want to learn some new things. And even from a coach's mindset, you can, you know, you, you want to kind of start thinking about evolving your practice and thinking about more what you can bring to people. And that's when I got into gym, gymnastics and calisthenics, actually, we we're just saying before we started, that's when I found your uh, YouTube, that was pretty early on, but uh, a colleague of mine at the gym I was working at, he was into the calisthenics. So I started working out with him and asking questions and he started, he was talking a lot about fitness FAQs. And, you know, that was when I heard like what a planche was and straight arm strength and all this crazy, crazy stuff. Um, but the realization during that time though, was that I was very limited by my flexibility. So I couldn't even straighten my arms. Right. So it's like, you're thinking about, Oh, this is a very cool, uh, like world. I don't even really know about, but I'm really limited by my own flexibility. I couldn't sit on my heels, couldn't touch my toes, all this stuff. Um, but I knew that that was, that had to change. I started looking for some unique approaches to this and I had to look outside of what I had previously tried, which was kind of your, I guess it's still pretty popular too. Like your traditional mobility stuff, like bands and, you know, whatever I was doing and nothing ever worked. Uh, yoga, I gotten into yoga for a bit and nothing came from that. Um, so I, I started looking into these areas. Uh, I started going to a circus school in town. They had adult classes. It was pretty advanced. Um, so <laughs> I learned a lot from that, but it was, it was way more advanced um, gymnastics practices. Uh, I found gymnastic bodies stretch series at the time is what it was called. I don't know if it's still out, but that kind of opened a lot of doors to like what flexibility training could be for me, but it was also very limited because, um, the person that had put that together had left. So I kind of like was out to find that person, which was Kit Lachlan. So if you guys don't know Kit Lachlan, stretch therapy, he is kind of the guru, like ultimate coach for adult flexibility. Like he's really been, I think the person since probably Thomas Kerr's, you know, to like really bring that to a realistic kind of setting for adults specifically, because that's really what we're talking about here is adult flexibility. Like how does an adult change their flexibility? Everyone really thinks limited about that. Like it's something you're born with. Uh, it's a genetic thing or you got it when you were a kid and you kept it. Um, so that kind of the injury made me start thinking about different ways of training. And that made me realize that I, I couldn't train in different ways unless I really addressed my flexibility. So that was when I really went all in. And I knew that was in my mind too, as a coach, I was like, this is where I'll probably be able to have the most impact on people is helping them improve their range of motion so that they can do the things they want to do. Cause that's where I was at. I think your story is going to resonate with a lot of people. You hear it time and time again, through injury, you're forced to step back and 
reassess pretty much like in your case, everything that you were doing. Or there's the case where people are like, I want to be able to do a a press handstand as an example. Then they realize they can't actually fold down towards the floor. So these bodyweight movements can really highlight any limitations in your range of motion. And I find that people tend to progress to that over time, either through injury or just through actually being humble that their body can't do everything that they would like to do. People would go to your page after listening to this podcast and they'd see the end result of, as you said, the big six. Look at this guy, Lucas, he's he's jacked, he's, he's bending in all these different ways. And they would assume it's just the natural human inclination to be like, he probably had a pretty good base that he's at that level. Yeah. But as you said, you came back from being a stiff uh, at the time, like out of shape, ex-power lifter, and completely changed it. If you ask the average person, describe someone that is flexible. They would think that they're quite, you know, wiry, thin, and that tends to be the the general stereotype. Gaining flexibility whilst also having muscle size. Is this possible? You and I have both proven that. Like your journey the last couple of years has went on that really deep flexibility side as well. And um we just kind of have to look at how the industry evolved too, right? Like if you look at the classic era of bodybuilding, like you have guys like Tom Platts and he's got the biggest quads in the game, maybe to this day. And he trained range super hard. He even recently made a post, like his page is still awesome. And he, he made a post recently of him stretching and in a split and doing his classic hero pose, reach back. And like he, those guys back then appreciated flexibility, like pumping iron, uh, Arnold and uh, Columbo like attended ballet classes. I mean, they were working on posing, but they knew that their posing was limited by their range. They, they practiced flexibility. And I mean, that just stopped happening. Even the old time strongman era, like if you wanted to start, you had to train these movements that expressed flexibility first. Like you couldn't get in the game really because those, the accessibility of strength wasn't there. Like you had to have range. So I think it just all got lost in, you know, the classic commercial gym setting, machine restricted kind of all these barriers. And uh, then everything kind of starts building up like, oh, well, you can't have flexibility and get big, like, because I can't. (laughs) No, it's completely opposite to that. Um, So I think it's it's about understanding the process. What brought on the interest and passion for I guess the old school or awkward lifts. Well, the, the flexibility journey certainly did um, because like anyone else, I think that's been on that journey can maybe relate to this. Like if you've, once you start getting to a certain level of flexibility, you start coming to these, this crossroads where you're like, okay, well, I've done this and I've done that. Um, you know, like how far am I going to take it? Like I'm not going to become a contortionist or anything. Like that's not really of interest maybe, but not, it wasn't really for me, but it was, it was always kind of coming back to my passion for strength training and barbell. So cool. That makes a lot of sense because you've got to this point where your body's comprehensively well-rounded range of motion stuff. Now your your thing is you want to use it in more diverse ways, hence yeah. the, the awkward lift. So would you recommend people have a base before getting into these movements? Well, that's what's cool about it is uh, we, we live in this world now today where we're realizing it's okay to round our back, right? So it's okay to flex the spine. 
the shoulder can internally rotate under load over time. Like the knees can go over the toes, the waist can bend. So we're, we're realizing that all these movements that we were previously kind of like, you know, there was that decade or so where it was like, you know, don't, don't round your back and don't do all this. We have to respect that there is a preparedness that goes into that stuff. Right. Um, so technique is super important. Like if you're, if you're looking for a desired outcome in flexibility training, like we're looking for a shape change, like your technique's going to play a role. Um, if you're looking to build strength in a static exercise, like a planche, like you, you have to apply the right techniques. It's not going to come right. I notice you absolutely love squatting. That tends yeah. to be something. If you look back through your history, you've gone through a lot of different directions of, uh, flexibility goals, but the squat tends to remain. Why? Yeah. I've always been a squatter, like even powerlifting. I had my squat was always my strong suit, but, um, I do think it's kind of also a lost art of coaching and learning how to squat. Like it's very hard for people to have that. Um, CrossFit has done a good job at bringing, you know, Olympic lifting to the forefront, which kind of teaches this full range squatting. Um, but for the most part, it's, that's kind of one thing that's, I, I, I've seen, and I've been a part of that era. It was like 2009, 2010, I think Mike Boyle wrote an article death to squats. And it was, it was about unilateral exercise and the single leg squat being better. And essentially the argument was just basically that no one knows how to coach a squat. So instead of learning how to coach squats and do it right, like, let's just get rid of it. And, uh, that's just, it is like, you know, squatting through full range of motion to me is kind of like a pinnacle of lower body range of strength. Like if you know how to do that, you can express this amazing strength in your lower body and gain mass. Like you can actually learn how to build mass through your body quite easily. And it can help you troubleshoot a lot of other strengths in your body. Um, it's a lot of what's happening is we're getting lost in that um, approach to squatting like power lifters where big extension, um, not using quads. So people kind of avoid it because they're not addressing those weaknesses or they still kind of ride the ego and just keep squatting the way they're squatting and complaining about their knee pain and all this other stuff. So I, I do see it as a way for me helping people. Cause I've spent so much time in squatting. Like I think no matter what happens, to my practice as a coach or how the brand kind of evolves. I know squatting will always play a role because it's people always need that kind of um, helping hand with understanding how to squat. And a lot of times it's just not even mobility that's playing a role. It's like just understanding your center of mass and basis support with a barbell. Like a lot of people just, again, they're trying to squat like power lifters and go ass to grass. It's also simple as, simple as shit, man. Like if you can just squat really well, you won't have to do eight or 12 exercises. And that's kind of where a lot of people get lost and maybe putting on size and strength is like, how are you going to get your head into the workout? If there's more than five exercises on your workout, <laughs> you know? For like, sure. Yeah. You're not going to put energy into any of those exercises. So the squat kind of solves that for people too. Yeah. It's, pinnacle lower body exercise and strength movement. Like it's not in your program. Like I highly recommend figuring it out because it'll save you a lot of headache in terms of 
gaining size and strength. Stretching can prevent injury. What do you think about this topic? I don't think there's enough evidence on it yet to say for sure, like that it's just a clear statement, but I, I don't really think there's enough evidence on most training disciplines that any of this stuff prevents injury. Like when it comes down to it, the injury's pretty unpredictable. Um, and the best thing and the best mindset to have when training or doing anything is to just be best prepared for the event or scenario that that may happen. And if you think about improving improvements of flexibility or the outcomes of that, you're creating stronger degrees of freedom and creating more movement variability in your body. So compare, you know, person A that's done that to person B who hasn't, and they both suffer the same injury at the same time for whatever reason. Person A that's been working on having that has more options for recovery. They're able to actually sit on the floor and move around cross leg because they've improved their flexibility. Whereas person B hasn't, and they're very restricted on the rehabbing process. So one person recovers in six months, one person recovers in 12 months, maybe even longer. Right. So I think that's a better thought process to have in terms of mitigating injury or the event that it happens is like, if you're, if you've improved your flexibility, you are going to have more options than someone who hasn't. That's just, I think foolproof in itself is what, as to why you should work on it. And obviously we should be managing things in life, like stressors and training age and, you know, progressive overload, like those things obviously should be managed, but that's probably the best way to prevent injury is to making sure you're managing your training accordingly and you do have your lifestyle in check with the things that you're doing. In terms of if someone's just like, I stretch, I'm less injured than someone else that doesn't stretch. Mm. I agree. We're not, it's not very clear that that's, that's the case. What would you say are the limitations of yoga? To the greater population is like they see the, the community in it, the mindfulness, like the feel good aspect of it, but you're not going to get enough time in positions to see adaptations occur in flexibility. Uh, and often what happens is people just associate yoga with improvements in flexibility because people that can do yoga are flexible. It's, it's the same idea as I want to lose weight and runners are thin. So I'm going to start running. <laughs> That's probably, and I did that, right. I went to yoga when I wasn't flexible and I basically sat in regressed resting postures for the majority of the classes and uh, quickly found out that that's not the best direction should be, uh, you know, the vinyasa yoga is very popular and that's like the more flow style, quick moving from position to position. And it, again, it comes down to people wanting a workout rather than wanting uh, to improve their flexibility. I think if you do want to really be exposed to a deep style of yoga, you should try yin yoga and yin yoga is, is slow paced, long holds, really challenges the mindset, um, you know, four to five minute holds and stretches and it's all breathing and learning to be calm and be in positions. It's a very, I think, good kind of approach for maybe getting into understanding a stretch. Should you stretch every day to get flexible? That would be, you know, like maxing out squats every day, right? Like if, especially if you don't know how to stretch. So if you're moving into, which most of these people are, uh, you know, your max range of a stretch and holding it every day and kind of just like trying to get flexible, the body has a way of reversing itself, just like it does crashing your CNS and you get weaker when you strength train, it resists the stretch. 
all of a sudden now we are getting this kind of strain rate sensitivity where the body's like, I don't want to do that. Like stop doing that. Uh, Philip Beach's work in um, muscles and meridians is really good. He talks about resting postures allows someone to actually start getting erasing that perfect posture mindset and being able to move daily and find rest with the bones and just kind of learn how to just be human again, I guess it's, (laughs) but uh, yeah, stretching daily to your max is not going to get you anywhere for sure. It's the most common misconception that I hear all the time as well. And a way I like to answer this question is it's dependent on volume and intensity. You can do anything every day if it's well within your means in terms of tolerance. Whereas, as you said with the squat example, you wouldn't be squatting 1RMs every day or high volume work, high intensity squatting daily. Because if you were able to do that every day, it probably wouldn't be high volume, high intensity. Stretches or basic limbering movements that feel good, don't tax you too much, you can do those daily. But Another example I like to give people, you could probably confirm your situation, is with the side splits. This is a classic example of a position that doesn't require too much frequency in order to progress. So most people literally only need to do it once a week. I found with myself and my students, you can focus on it once a week and make considerable gains with that seemingly low-frequency approach. And there tends to be something as well relating to the size of the muscle groups involved as well. So you'd think Mm -hmm. with the side splits, you're doing adductors, they're huge muscles. They're involved in tons of lower limb movements. They're hip extensors as well. So they're involved in squats, lunges, et cetera. But case in point is you can do a hard session of that with decent volume, decent intensity. And as Lucas was saying, you're going to create a stress response and it takes your body time to adapt you know, assessing soreness and those kind of things, which limbering does help you do. That's a good point to bring up for limbering is evaluating your muscle doms from flexibility the next day. Right. So you get into some basic stretches after, you know, whatever it is you're doing, you're just allowing yourself to kind of understand where you're carrying tension or soreness and just giving you a little self-evaluation. Right. For sure. And a, a good way we can give people an example using the side splits so say you've got that side split workout, you're doing maybe some variation of a horse stance and through range, and then you may be doing some isometric side splits uh, as an example. Then during the week, you could just be assessing your level of soreness, et cetera, with something more gentle like a, a Cossack squat through range unloaded. Yeah. So that's yeah. a, a limbering example where you're moving through range in the, in the movement pattern, but it's not as demanding as the actual workout itself. It's nice to chat with someone who was on the side split journey. <laughs> uh, someone that's also like trains their legs seriously as well, because as, yes. you right, yeah. as you rightfully said, it's like you got that one side split session, but then you're also doing squats maybe once or twice a week. So it's like yeah. that management of recovery is key. There's waterfall effects to training ranges in your sagittal plane. Like, if you're opening the hips are going to rotate and cooperate better in your side split. So I like to tell people that too, is front splits. If you're very side split focused, front splits is just as important because it's an opportunity to get into big ranges again in the lower body without overworking your adductors and 
you're going to get some waterfall effect from any gains in range in that way too. Like your body can cooperate through a greater range of motion. So that's a probably a good mindset to think about too. If you're hard on the splits, the side splits, particularly like it's important to have a balanced kind of approach to it. I love that point, Lucas. I think if people took that one gem away from this podcast, that's, that's worth its weight in gold because the, the big picture of that is whatever movement you're trying to improve, the opposite direction has, has value as well. If you want to get a back bend, there's merit to bending your spine in the opposite direction. That's probably yeah. the same for internal, external rotation. There just seems to be a limitation that's removed by having more comprehensive movement capacity. Today's sponsor for the show is Fitness FAQs. Use the coupon code PODCAST10 to save 10% at checkout when shopping on fitnessfaqs.com. Enjoy the discount and let's get back to the conversation. What would you say you see as being the major limitation from people gaining flexibility? Not understanding what you're doing and potentially changing what you're doing too much. Stretching and, and just getting into positions um, there's a big disconnect with like what's supposed to be happening. If you don't understand the contractions that should be evolved, um, how to kind of learn to override your stretch reflex to get into deeper positions. If you don't understand these things or the components involved, maybe how to lay out your flexibility session in a way where there's like a flow to it, um, you're not going to make progress. So it's going to take time for you to actually study flexibility and that's maybe why my journey was so long with some of these achievements i was going for like i really became a geek about trying to understand the process i've always kind of been that way it's kind of like maybe a coach's thing is like i don't want to just hit that i want to like understand why and how and and also some trial and error like you do have to fail a little bit to kind of see like okay well that's a bad idea um so not understanding that stuff, not putting a time in to really study what it is uh, and just changing it up too much. So, I mean, today's world, it's like instant gratification. I can open up my phone and 10 different coaches are going to tell me how to do the same thing, 10 different ways. And I'm going to, I'm going to try all of them. And that's cool. If you like to just try different things and just love that, but it's when you're complaining about not making progress is going to come down to like, how long have you spent doing one particular thing? And again, that has to happen for change and adaptations to occur in the body. We have to do some repetition. There has to be a lot of the same things happening Two big ones, not knowing exactly what it is you're doing um, or to the extent that you should, and then just loving all of it too much. <laughs> Just trying a new exercise every day. Well, maybe if I try this, it'll work. It's like, no. What is the stretch reflex and how do you overcome it in order to gain more flexibility? Basically your body's uh, way of telling you that you've just gone too far too soon into a stretch. So it's kind of like this neurological response to resisting a stretch position. So you go like, you know, if I'm reaching down to touch my toes and I'm just going right to my end range right away, the, you know, the brain's going to kind of connect with the body and say, no, you're going too far. And it's going to resist the stretch. The most classic beginner mistake is just going too far into your stretch right away. And your body just will not let go and give you, um, allow you to kind of override the stretch reflex. So the best way to do that 
is to learn how to regress off of your end range. So you should kind of know where that is. So if you're reaching down to touch your toes, kind of back off to a position where you can allow some stretch sensation to occur, uh, give your brain and body time to know that it's safe to be there. And through the application of different contractions on both sides of the joint, you can learn to relax. Once you get to that point of resistance, do you have any recommendations for time or, or breaths before trying to go, go further? Um, it's important not to like overcomplicate it as well too, right? It's like, you don't want to get yourself in a position and think like, I have to do three breaths and this has to be for 30 seconds and this has to be. So I'm usually very kind of open-minded, like programming wise, there will be specific instructions, but feedback wise, it's like, Hey, just like be there and find your breath. Um, counting breath is good. So you can get into some contrast type breathing where you, you count three or four breaths in three or four breaths out. It gives you some kind of state of focus. 30 seconds approximately is a good time frame I found just from working with people for like, okay, now it's okay for us to evaluate if we're getting some give here. That's always like you see someone the first time and they're asking 15 questions before they even get into a stretch. It's like, man, just get into a stretch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, like once we're there, we'll talk and just yeah. ensure that you can actually be in a stretch. And that was actually me too. Like the first time I did like a full uh, deep flexibility session, it was like, holy crap, I've never actually stretched before. It's kind of what I felt like. It's like, I've actually like, never stretched in my life. So, and that wasn't very long ago. That was, you know, 10 years ago. So um, you, you kind of just know from your own experience too, that these are some things that people don't tell you. Yeah. There's a difference between holding a 60 second stretch where you're not being very intentional with what you're doing in terms of the breath and your overall composure. So the example that you just gave uh, a flexibility beginner who's trying to hold a position would be shallow breathing that have a lot of global unnecessary tension whereas mm. trying to get into the position own the position and have a level of discomfort or rpa that's conducive not limiting your range this is something that you it's not as easy as putting numbers on a bar like putting more weight on a bar we're in a stretch so uh, I do use an RPE chart, like I'm an old powerlifting meathead, but I've recreated an RPE chart that just has more context to a stretch. So a seven is like, it's more reading that you feel like you can be here and that you can complete the prescribed amount of time, no matter what it is. If it's two minutes, you're at a seven, you can hold for two minutes, no problem. As you approach an eight or a nine, there's just markers there that say you can feel like you can get there with maybe 10 seconds left in the tank. Um, there's just a mindset there when you're in a stretch where you need to learn how to have a reserve and how to progressively also push yourself. I like to think along the six week kind of eight week mark of starting to approach a threshold. If you're more advanced, like you're more comfortable um, in the stretch uh, periods of up to 12 weeks, thinking about actually deloading. Uh, and it's, that's funny when I say that people are like deloading, like we're, we're stretching. It's like, no, you, you need a period of, of rest. That's an important thing that no one's going to tell you probably when you're doing it alone is like, Hey, I hit this new range. And next time you do it, it's like not there. And you feel like shit. And it's like, 
well, it's like hitting a, a heavy PR in your squat. Like next time you do it, if you try to do it again next week, it might not be there, right? So this is where I feel that the industry has changed with what range of strength is promoting, what fitness FAQs is promoting. It's the periodization of flexibility. You're progressively overloading using all of the traditional variables, except in a range or flexibility context that involves deloading. And I particularly like what you said about regression happening. Like you're not going to linearly progress your range of motion just because you've been training six, eight, 10, 12 weeks. It's the exact same as strength on any other type of movement. You're going to have undulations, but I feel that in like flexibility culture, there's this thing of I'm working. I've got to just continually getting more flexible. And I think this comes back to what you were saying. People might see that, temporary regression in their ability to gain range as a sign that the program's not working. And then they might get caught up in that trap we discussed earlier, which is just, oh, maybe I should do six different exercises or change my exercise every program, which would be a big mistake. Whereas if people realize that that's a normal part of the journey, I think us as coaches promoting this is very healthy. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not linear and, and nothing, no physical discipline's linear. If you went in and every time you think I have to progress or Mm -hmm. I should be progressing, I think that's just a really unhealthy mindset. Maybe they look on the internet and all they see is people making gains, but hear it from us guys. We've been training for myself for a decade plus, Lucas for a little bit more. He's more my senior Mm -hmm. colleague, but that's the reality. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, finding ways to stay checked in with the process uh, It involves a lot of the things that we're not talking about, like, you know, are you, you making notes? Are you recording your sessions? One of the things I respect about you too, is you train alone a lot and I train alone a lot too. Right. So this, this goes a little further where you're, we're not just walking into a gym and joining a class and just kind of, you know, someone's keeping track of that for us. It's like, no, I have to actually write all this down. I have to, you know, find ways to like, think about what I've been doing, what, kind of progress I made. And that comes down to clarity of goal setting, because as you're hearing the theme of this conversation, there's a lot of things that you can be doing, but you really Mm -hmm. have to be selective with a few things. Go hard on it for a good, takes a decent amount of time to gain range. From my experience, it's a definitely a 12 month plus process to make measurable gains in terms of range and strength, but just you really need to decide what's important to you, set those goals And if you're going to train independently, which is pretty challenging, you can go down a lot of rabbit holes, like Lucas said, and get a little bit of paralysis analysis. So for most people, I would recommend getting a coach just to have that guidance. And I'm speaking from personal experience. The time that I've made the best gains was when I had a coach as well, Joachim Hilderson. Yeah, we've worked together. Yeah. So I worked with him to unlock my back bridge and... I thought, I thought the process was going to take, you know, like I'm a pretty dedicated guy. It'll probably take me four, six months. It was uh, COVID times, so was lockdown, so I could really focus in on that. Man, yeah. even with the awareness of how the body works, it took 12 plus months in order to get it. Back bridge was really hard for me too. Like I, I mean, I was like, you know, power lifter. I couldn't, I had no overhead reach and stuff. Like power, like the back bridge was... That was a journey, man. And like, yeah, you know, the, the first time I trained back bridge, I was following like a follow along workout 
Oh no. Just had had no coaching, no feedback. And I was just like, you know, I'm I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I felt the same thing, man, for sure. Yeah. The layers of backbridge offers you so many tools into your practice for training the spine. And then the interesting thing is people will see a position like that and they'll be like, why? Why should you do it? Well, it comes down to like the general, I guess, ethos of exercise at large. It's like, well, any, any type of exercise is beneficial. But for me personally, this was like a really difficult objective to get because similar to you with, with the calisthenic stuff, you're not moving your spine into extension. And like literally everything else you do is counterproductive for backbridge. Like if you're pulling heavy weights, like with pull-ups and chin-ups, yeah. in order to be able to get that shoulder flexion, fuck, it takes a lot of weight and a lot of time. Yeah. So like doing, yeah, doing drills with like external load to get yourself mm-hmm. into shoulder flexion, doing pullovers with your own body weight, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, but just the comprehensive full body nature, shoulders, thoracic, hip flexors. Yep. Once you've got that, I feel you've got a good expression. And that's where, you know, I think the head has to go when you're thinking like, why? If you start understanding a lot of these big range expressions like splits and bridges and stuff and understanding that there's so many layers to it. And that's what I'm, I really try to preach to people is like, if you, if you find the right approach that'll give you that entry point like level one whatever you want to call it you're gonna learn you're gonna get so many tools that you'll just be able to apply into your training that i mean like no one's using this in like everyday type training and there's a there's a way to do it for sure and i really just want to highlight the point again when people hear me talking about the back bridge or lucas talking about the side splits most of the work, like 80% of the work is on isolated components. So a a session would be focused on the constituent aspects of the back bridge. To get the back bridge, especially as someone that was tight like myself and probably restricted like most people listening, you're not just going to do an elevated bridge and progress. You'd be, you wouldn't be addressing the limitations throughout the kinetic chain. So the non-sexy, glamorous aspect of us displaying these cool feats of human potential is most of the time it's just isolated work and then yeah. finishing with the compound and just repeating that for a year plus. Yeah, it's an interesting point you bring up is like flexibility training is kind of like that where strength training is like compound isolation. Flexibility training is kind of isolation compound. It's like we're training these layers to then check in on this big compound to see how we're doing with the discussion on active versus passive what's what's your thoughts mobility kind of just came about as like a way to get people excited about training range um mobility training it's like what's mobility training i think it was like 2009 2010 you know you see like loaded movements uh, a lot of active range work almost no stretching at all and then it's all of a sudden the debate is like, well, flexibility is just passive only and mobility is active. So we need, we don't need the flexibility training because that's just passive. We need to train active and get strong. It's like, okay, well, first of all, <laughs> and this is, you know, I had this thought process as a you know, traditional SNC coach. I was like, yeah, mobility, um, passive flexibility is always going to be 
the way we express the most range of motion, like passively. So if we don't know how to passively get there first, we're not going to know how to strengthen our greatest end range. So to say that for one passive or static stretching is just a waste of time is basically saying you're not, you just don't want to make any progress in your flexibility and you don't want to stretch. So we have, you know, static, passive flexibility, and this is what everyone thinks flexibility training is. Um, we're just in a relaxed position, holding a relaxed stretch, which there should be even more to add to that is like even static passive is not really passive. If you do understand contractions and things like that, um, we have static active flexibility. So this is where we're in an active isometric position, uh, dynamic active flexibility, which is movement. So, I mean, mobility is dynamic active flexibility. Um, every strength exercise you do is a, is a form of dynamic active flexibility. And then we have dynamic passive, which is like your joints being manually guided through uh, its range of motion. So basically the industry just blew up mobility as a, a coin term and that's fine. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I think that's great that people are excited about training range, but you're only training one component of flexibility. If you train mobility, like in that context, like if you're only training your dynamic active flexibility, you're really limiting your potential because the, the trifecta is static, active, static, passive, dynamic active i don't know the argument i think is more so for people that have built maybe uh, a brand around mobility and they just yeah that's it you hit the nail on the head that's that's definitely it but for the person that's actually doing a flexibility practice it makes sense what you said it's like you've got this range passively and if you want to express that actively that's where the the training you're doing both of them to try and improve both but if you want to get more active, you're just bridging the gap between your total range, which is passives generally more, and the active is going to bridge that. Like passive flexibility and static stretching is like, think about entering a dark cave with a light. That's what that is for you. Because when you go into these new ranges, you've never been there before. And yeah. if you want to try to go there um, actively, you're going there without any light because you know, you're just walking in there blind. So uh, the passive flexibility, learning how to get there passively first gives you a chance to actually understand what it feels like to be there. And then we can start building some strength. So a comprehensive program would include both. That sounds too simple, man. Why can't we just be, <laughs> why can't we be extreme? <laughs> can we stretch for too long? This is a good topic. You know, the, the point of diminishing return hasn't been actively looked at as much because researchers are always looking for the most efficient means to use stretching. So that's kind of where there is a barrier. The most studied time frame for stretching is 60 seconds. It's like kind of the, the average. And there's, you know, a lot of variables to that. Like there's more adherence to it. Um, there is a result and there's change occurring. So it's kind of, again, it kind of gives the bias to the most efficient means of stretching. Um, there was one in 2015 that found that uh, the 450 second time mark was needed to see uh, induced change in the bicep femoris. So, I mean, that's like seven and a half minutes. There was one in 2012 
that found that 10 minutes seemed to be a point of diminishing returns with uh, like stretch induced kind of change in the tissue. So I mean, that's 10 minutes. That's, that's quite a long time. Um, but again, there's still, there's just a lot to be done there. Um, Ellen Langevin's work, uh, she's another one that's doing a lot of work on stretching and her work, a lot of it shows a two minute mark to be like a really strong time frame for, you know, seeing, getting what you want out of a stretch. You know, I think starting out, like we had talked prior to, like, you got to learn to be comfortable in a stretch. You just got to learn to do what you can actually do. But knowing that, you know, 10 minutes is like almost a point of diminishing returns in a way. Yeah. Let's, you know, that, you know, I don't think you can do too much. You just have to do it really well and progressively and, you know, know your end goal. I really like the way I explained that in terms of it's the most efficient way to do it until proven otherwise, or the, the research shows more generally speaking that beyond 60 seconds is consistently better then it makes so much sense because you picture doing a stretch for what would you say like seven and a half to 10 minutes and that's that that that's torture like I, it's yeah. much more sustainable to be able to do like three to five sets of 60 seconds compared yeah. to you know just one all-out set of that yeah. duration it'd be comparable to training to failure like yeah. that would be a, a max intent stretching duration you'd get severely sore afterwards whereas yeah. the that 60 seconds is a lot better and you could compare yeah. that to everything it's like okay if your goal was hypertrophy like generally speaking 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week is is the consensus can you yeah. do less can you do more to make gains probably but yeah. doing more than that more fatiguing physically psychologically so just yeah i like the way you put that with the 60 yeah like stick kind of find a way to start making progress first and then you can kind of start thinking about the variables and most people can't even hold a stretch for 60 seconds to be honest and i want to make it clear when we say 60 seconds it's actually longer than 60 seconds because you're getting into the posture and you have to spend that time overcoming the stretch reflex first and range holding 60 seconds that's it's challenging it'll make change how do you make flexibility training objective and measurable be able to look at the shape and understand what the shape is that you're trying to create, um, how to measure angles of improvements in your range. It's important to note that like, you know, in three months time, you might not make a 30 degree improvement in a side split, but five degrees is a, is a really good target or 10 degrees. And if you have these targets laid out uh, quarterly or, you know, however you kind of want to lay them out, then it just makes it, a little easier to swallow the pill that it's going to take maybe a bit longer adherence to a program i think is a great goal so i mean even that in itself is like can you actually stick with one program for 12 weeks one approach right like that is is one sign of success um cold flexibility is a big one and everyone's always kind of like how do you measure cold flexibility or accessibility in a position uh, one way I've done this for, you know, marker of success or having a target is like, how long does it take you to get into a position? A simple example, like uh, a pike fold or reaching to touch the floor. If it took you two minutes to do that um, 
and now you're only doing it in 60 seconds, uh, that's an, a gain in accessibility, right? So improvements in, in cold flexibility. And I guess what people should take away is if flexibility training is something that you seriously want to do, it's going to be an integral part of your day. And it's not just going to be tacked on at the end as an afterthought. Most people coming from calisthenics, strength training, powerlifting, bodybuilding, you name the disciplines, they'll think about, oh, I want to increase my range or get more flexible. And they'll put it after their workout. And as we've been discussing for the past hour plus, it's a very intentional, difficult practice to gain Mm -hmm. flexibility. So you have to treat it with a strength training mindset, both with application of intensity, but also programming. Yeah, 100%. Range of strength, check it out. Pleasure, man. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Visit fitnessfaqs.com to master calisthenics and become a bodyweight pro.